the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. And it's another episode of Joe Talk, and that's me, Joe Serpico. And we have Joe Broback on the other side of the mic. What's up, bro? Hey, you've been pretty quiet about your favorite basketball player, Jimmy Butler. What's up with that? I didn't say he was my favorite. Well, you were loving him because he was with your Sixers, and then he all of a sudden he leaves, and you have nothing to say. Funny. That's how the game works. They come and go. Come on now. Don't give me all that. Look at your Timberwolves. What do they do? They, do <laughs> they just like disappoint they me every year, so don't worry about it. it. All right, so we're going to keep going with our team previews as we have been doing weekly until UConn kind of stepped in and ruined some things for us. But we are bringing on, I guess, to talk Houston Cougars football, and we are pleased to be joined by the Scott and Holtman podcast, where they are always talking Houston Cougars. I noticed you guys are on. How many episodes are you guys on now? The number was absurd compared to us. So we we the our, our episode numbers our last episode was like four sixty one but it's season four episode sixty one so it was actually our two hundred and first episode was the last one I believe. Cool. Joe, we got to step our game up. I ain't doing a daily podcast with you. <laughs> you. I just love to talk to you, Joe. Anyway, so before we get it going, I, I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourself to the audience so that way um, people recognize whose voice is here. Uh, so it's just not rare, or excuse me, not often that we have uh, four people on the show here. That's fair. This is, I'm Sam. I'm the second funniest member of the Scott Holland podcast. And I am Dustin. I am the second best looking member of the podcast. Ooh, God, Joe, we really got to step our game up now. I'm second place in both of those, so. All right, I'm a winner, so I'll take all credit for that. All right, so we brought the guys on. Obviously, we're going to talk some Cougars football here. So I guess I'll get it started with the uh, the most obvious question. Well, is um, Joe's really big on king everybody's big on king he's the only g5 heisman hopeful out there um i'll basically i'll just let you guys gush for the next two three four minutes whatever you guys want to do yeah it's hard to know where to start on that i mean i think uh obviously he's he's been that's why it's hard to ask the question i was just like just go just because he's phenomenal yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, as much as uh, I think a lot of the highlights that a lot of people get excited about are the ones that he makes with his feet, in particular the the fourth down versus uh, South Florida this past year when he uh, juked out the entire uh, USF defense all in once and, and somehow ended up in the end zone. But uh, I think the really exciting thing about his junior year in particular was just watching him really just take a uh, another step in terms of uh, throwing the ball and he's really got a phenomenal arm i think honestly his uh, his arm is is about as good as his feet are which is what makes him such a, uh, a incredible player is that he is has such incredible dynamism both uh, throwing the ball and uh, and uh, uh, running the ball as well yeah i think one of the things that the draft Knicks like to talk about is that he has incredible arm talent and i think it cannot get overstated how good of an arm dear king has because right now his form isn't the best he's only played really about a season and a half dustin when you say that's correct yeah. a season and a half starting quarterback he did come to college primarily as a quarterback i know he was recruited out of manville texas as an athlete but it was expected the reason he chose houston over tcu his previous commitment was that he was gonna get a fair chance here to play quarterback so he is a he isn't like an athlete moved to quarterback per se but maybe a guy athletic enough to play multiple positions who has his arm talent no matter the height is pretty rare and he's just a real special athlete a student you know all of his coaches have said he's a student of the game just any of the positive adjectives that you can give a collegiate quarterback Garrett King has him and I think bigger picture the fact that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield went so high in the draft has sold me that there might be a professional future for Garrett King outside of him obviously he takes up most of the most of the recognition on offense um but in terms of running the ball, uh, Dana Holgerson obviously added um, a big name to the running back group. So who do you guys think wins the running back job this year? 
even with the you know arrival of Kyle Porter, which you kind of just mentioned there, you know, one-time high school American from the storied Katie High program in the greater Houston area, I still think it's going to be Patrick Carr. I think one of the things that got overlooked last year and kind of Houston's offensive renaissance under the thankfully now departed Kendall Bryles was that Patrick Carr in his moments was quite a playmaker and someone who didn't have a whole lot of experience going into last year but was still a real positive force. I think one of the biggest head-scratching things for me from last season was when we were playing Memphis, Patrick Carr, I think, only got something like 12 carries. And I think Holgerson is going to use him a lot more appropriately. Maybe use him not so much as a bell cow running back, because I think that's kind of a thing that's not being done anymore. But he will certainly get more consistent carries, I think, than he did in the previous offense. Yeah, I would agree with Sam. I think that it's not going to be a one running back situation, certainly. Um, and I expect Kyle Porter will get plenty of chances to get the ball in his hands and make some plays but uh, we've been impressed with Patrick Carr around here for a while and it was really exciting last year to see him really uh, come into his own I think all right both of you guys brought up uh, Dana Holgerson so it's I guess it's time that we ask the question you know because we haven't had anybody else come talk Cougars football with us so um, what it means to the school, the program, to make such a hire. To get, I mean, WVU is not the the most luxurious place to uh, be. Let's be honest, but to still snatch a team from the Big Twelve and bring them to the the American, what it means to Houston and its fans. I mean, it was like a, a night and day difference. The the it's it's hard to overstate the the absolute just complete lack of fan interest and just absolute apathy and. The extent to which nobody wanted to see another season of uh, of Major Applewhite football, and uh, and just the the level of excitement that is around that program again, uh, just overnight is is hard to describe. We've seen some really high highs for this program. Obviously, you know, going to the Peach Bowl and winning the Peach Bowl is better than uh, is just hiring a coach, I guess. But you know, it, that was something that just kind of built and built and built, and just I don't know if I've ever seen you really any sport at u of h just have these sudden overnight turnaround in terms of just the energy around the program and people feeling good about the future of the program as going from major Applewhite and then kind of you know as soon as he kind of was out the door it's kind of like wait and we're getting dana right and then a couple days later it became official and it's just uh, uh pretty dramatic yeah you can you could have a hard time getting cougar fans to agree on a lot of things but he was quite the universally popular i don't think you're gonna really find a Cougar fan out there that wasn't excited about bringing Dana in. And I would just add for some context that he was our offensive coordinator from 2008 to 2009. Those were two extremely good Cougar offenses. It probably wasn't the pinnacle. The pinnacle was probably Case's sixth year in 2011, but he was the OC for two very good offenses, a very popular figure from pretty much anyone who's been a fan since then or before then among Cougar fans. I think he was someone we kind of watched from afar and we were happy we did well just because West Virginia doesn't really intersect with U of H so much. So you can kind of root for them and not feel super guilty about it. And I think if you'd asked Cougar fans about this a couple of years ago after Herman left, it just seemed like an impossible dream. I remember Dustin for about 15 minutes after Herman left for Austin. Don't you remember they kind of kicked around the concept of it? Yeah. And I was just like, that's cool. And I would love for it to happen, but it, it would, it will never happen in this life. So yeah, I think dream come true is not overstating it in terms of getting Holgerson as the head coach here. Speaking of him and, and the offense, I think last year it was it was weird at times with the, the OC that you guys don't like to talk about, nor his dad, which we don't either. Um, it almost seemed like at times they just ran one route concepts and they just send like Stevenson deep or whatnot. So how do you guys think the offense is going to be different with Holgerson and then maybe kind of lead into who's going to be the leading receiver this year with different concepts going on? You know, just say the caveat, as much as we don't like our previous offensive coordinator, the offense was noticeably better. I would argue just the number of possessions kind of inflates it a little bit, just kind of the same way the last 10 years of offensive football made a lot of standard stats meaningless. But I think we're going to see, I think, most broadly is a lot of, yeah, I think tempo being used the opposite was last year. Last year, the Cougars went at a breakneck pace. I think if you look at the advanced analytics, they were the second or third fastest team in the country and that yeah, worked to some degree but just ate a defense alive and i think as we'll get to there are a lot of questions on that side of the ball and you'd rather not have those weaknesses exposed but yeah i think just broadly it's going to be a lot more complex i think it's going to use tempo a bit differently i've been watching some west virginia games from last year although that's not so much of a tell because will greer and De'Aaron king aren't the same quarterback which isn't a knock on will greer 
or Derek King, but what they do well is pretty different. I think one of the cool things is if you look at all of Holgerson's offenses that he's kind of adjusted the personnel to what quarterback he has. They were real run heavy until Will, Will Greer became eligible. They were a little more pass happy. Yeah, I think we go back to Oklahoma State and Houston. So he adjusts to the personnel he has and generally does pretty well. With it. I think that's what most Cougar fans are excited about, that he's not going to be someone who's real rigid and orthodox. He's going to adjust his offense to what D.R. King does well. And I don't know if this has been mentioned anywhere, but he's going to do something he didn't do the last two years of West Virginia and call his own plays. He has a pair of co-offensive coordinators, but Dana will ultimately be the play caller this fall. It is kind of funny to talk about bringing in a Dana Holgerson offense and think, yeah, well, we might not go quite as fast this year, and we might run the ball a little bit more this year. That's not really what you're supposed to be saying when Holgerson comes in, um, but just given that the previous staff was turning those dials up to 11, so to speak, you know, I think that if you look at Holgerson's career, he has, traditionally has uh, one or two running backs every year that seem to have uh, big years under him. So um, I think we're expecting, you know, like we said, the Patrick Carr and those guys to get more looks and also maybe a more sophisticated offense that doesn't doesn't leave the defense, you know, with quite so many three and outs. As many good things, and again, I will join Sam in saying that uh, certainly – uh, that guy that was our offensive coordinator last year, uh, if you just look at on the foot on the uh, football field type of stuff, did it did a, you know a good job uh, of being the offensive coordinator. Certainly uh, did hang the uh, the defense out to dry now and then. So it's weird for Dana Holgerson to be a step back, but I think that's kind of what people are expecting is maybe a slightly more in balance you know offense and slightly more in balance with the uh, the whole football team. Something I meant to add earlier. I think I've watched a little bit of you know West Virginia. I think about three or four games at this point in the summer. And I really do think Patrick Carr, the sort of the way Holgo used McCoy as a receiver last year of the backfield as a back, I think Carr is going to be used a fair amount that way, and I think it's going to be outstanding. All right, I'm going to take it uh, off the field for a second just because of the, the, the recent news of the UConn deciding to leave the conference. And um, I don't want to talk about uh, – replacements or anything like that because everybody's talked about that and then some but my question to you guys is um for a long time it's been said that you know houston is the the front runner to leave um at any point should the uh, aac break down or you know, any expansion happen so my question is what does houston really think of the american and then, you know, is it still that urge to jump to the Big 12, the first opportunity there is, or are they satisfied now? No, I mean, I think every, every just about every team, maybe not t- like Tulsa or Tulane, but I mean, I think Houston, Cincinnati, the directional Florida's, uh, even East Carolina to some extent, if they can get their football team, you know, kind of back in order, those are all programs that have aspirations of, of going up. And I think, I'm, I mean, I, I like the American. I enjoy the American. I like the uh, the community around it, and it's a lot of really really fun schools to play against. I uh, I won't say too many bad things about it, but I think everyone in the American is aware that it's the P5 waiting room. That's what everyone is trying to use it as is as the uh, the, the jumping off spot to go to uh, to bigger and uh, and richer conferences. So I mean I, I I'm enjoying the the heck out of the competition as it is right now. We've developed some really fun rivalries with uh, with Cincinnati and UCF, but um, yeah I mean I, I think I. I Certainly, if, if I had my pick of my uh, P5 conferences, the Big 12 wouldn't be my first choice. And I think a lot of uh, Cougardom has kind of soured on the Big 12 uh, just due to all the, the shenanigans associated with that conference over the years. Um, but certainly, you know, the University of Houston and its entire fan base will immediately become the biggest fans of whatever conference should extend. And if it's the Big 12, we'll have loved the Big 12 all along. If it's the Pac-12, we'll have always wanted to go to the Pac-12. If it's the ACC, that'll have been our first choice this entire time. So certainly um, the Cougars, like everybody else, enjoying the American. It's fun. But obviously, you know, counting down to 2025 or whenever the contracts expire and seeing uh, what the, the landscape looks like then. And I think the larger context here is that the University of Houston is spending a lot on athletics. I don't know if they're running a deficit like UConn was. I think they lost $40 million or something last year. I don't think U of H is in that ballpark. But some of that spending right now is to get that power conference invite. And there has to be the questions in six, seven years. If we don't have that invite, is it really sustainable for this institution and we are on the extreme high end of sports fans here, but the question has to be asked is, can this institution sustain these losses enough to justify it? You know, and I love sports, but I don't want my alma mater to go in the poorhouse 
just for the sake of collegiate athletics, and they are running a decent-sized deficit right now to act like a Power 5 without the Power 5 conference or branding or whatnot behind it. I do think the new TV deal will help, but yeah, I still think we're spending a whole lot more on athletics probably right now than we're taking in for that end goal, to be the first name on everyone's lips when it comes time to add a school to a power conference. Bring it, bring it back to the field, and we'll flip the defense here. Given how frustrating and awful the defense was at times last year, what do you? What are your expectations for that side of the ball this year? Create more negative plays, create more turnovers, occasionally be a positive attribute. That's really where my expectations are. So, not super high. Dustin, you look like you want to say something here. No, that's that was that was I was going to probably put more words to it than that. But basically, yeah, we're not expecting the defense to be great or even good or probably even decent this year. Um, but what it just didn't do last year was just ever create turnovers, ever create negative plays, ever do anything. It just felt like other than just kind of stay on the field and eventually slowly get scored upon. Um, and, you know, uh, incoming defensive coordinator Joe Cawthon is noted for being able to create some pressure and havoc. And, you know, his defenses certainly can give up some points now and then, but definitely a defense that will make some things happen. And given that we're expecting the offense to be able to score some points, you know, you'd rather a defense that gives up a few big plays, get, gets off the field early and lets your offense come back out as opposed to one that uh, that stays on the field for a long time, especially if you are, you know, even occasionally creating those turnovers or havoc plays. I would defend myself and say that was my 30,000 foot summation. I could probably talk for hours i think i've written like about seven thousand words in the cougar defense but yeah i think everything dustin said is correct and really getting the defensive backfield i think specifically figured out because it was a weak spot i mean everything was a weak spot for this defense so singling out the defensive backfield i guess is kind of unfair but they brought in a ton of transfer talent on that side of the ball you have a couple of juco first team all americans Javarius owens and demarion williams i think williams is gonna play quarterback owens I think he's supposedly can play both, but is probably going to play at safety. Jordan Moore, who was a four-star Texas top 100 recruit who played his last year at Texas A&M, is immediately eligible this year. And a couple of returning safeties are pretty interesting. Gleason Sprewell was not a big name going into last preseason and just had a huge year. I would say, other than Ed Oliver, had probably the best season of any defender on the field last year. Would you agree, Dustin? Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's probably right. And Deontay Anderson, who didn't have as good of a year last year, but also a former blue chip four-star recruit, you know, who in a new system could fare a lot better than the last one, which just was catastrophically bad for most of the second half of last year. And I think anytime you talk about bringing in a bunch of JUCO transfers and Division One transfers and trying to meld a whole lot of new pieces and you know what appears to be talented pieces, but certainly new to the program pieces altogether at once, I think when you have that kind of situation, that also leads itself to a defense that is going to be you know, maybe talented enough to make some exciting plays, but also figuring things out enough to uh, to, to blow some plays. So I think that is why you're really going to see Houston's defense kind of double down on the, the all-or-nothing aspect this year. Volatile. The word volatile comes to mind. All right. I All can't right. believe we went this long, actually, and we're just talking about Ed Oliver for the first time. So my, my next question was about him. Um, me and Joe were really, really putting out the, a push for him to be a top five selection. Truly thought he still should be a top five to- selection, especially considering the pick that the Raiders made at that spot there. Uh, I think we were all we're just shaking our heads there. But I let, I let you guys start by gushing about King, so I guess I'll let you guys kind of wrap it up here with uh, a little bit more about Ed Oliver. I'll let Dustin take it from here, but I will just say the best defensive player I've ever seen in person at a college game. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that is easy to to lose about Ed Oliver because he's so unbelievably talented is, you know, especially when people just, I think, were looking to create any sort of bit of controversy and, you know, people still want to speculate that the whole Jacket Gate controversy dropped his stock or whatever, but... I mean, if you, if you ignore that nonsense, every other thing you've ever heard anyone ever say about Ed Oliver within this program is not just that he's the most talented guy, but he's the hardest worker. He is the one just, you know, making everyone get after it at practice. And if you watch him on the field, you know that's that's his style of play on the field as well, is never giving up on a play. Um, just, you know, you don't see defensive tackles chase down plays, you know, that are kind of that are past them, and it just doesn't happen. But Ed Oliver did that because that was uh, – 
the, both the kind of athletic player that he was, that he had the athleticism to get back in those plays, and also that he had that just nonstop, 100% all the time motor that wouldn't let him quit on on a play. That he would uh, he would be in those plays. So, yeah, it's uh, as someone who just is a football fan and just in even as a football fan can get caught doing the uh, you know watching the ball watching the quarterback from time to time you don't talk about the linemen there's yeah I, I don't know other than and Dominic and Sue was really the only other as a college football fan example that I can come up with where it's a defensive lineman that you just cannot take your eyes off when he's on the field because even as an interior defensive lineman you know he's he's probably going to do something and, uh, and impact the play yeah I'm glad you mentioned Sue there because I would put Ed Oliver's freshman season on caliber with anything that Dominic and Sue and I think Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's probably a good comp for yeah. recent college football. But he did what those two guys did as an upperclassman as a true freshman. I think what just is astounding about Ed Oliver is he did what he did. I think at the most difficult position to contribute immediately as an interior lineman on either side of the ball, I think they say the farther you get away from the ball, it easier it is, the easier it is to contribute as a true freshman. He did it maybe at the hardest position on the field to do it on par with the best ever in recent history of the sport. Just everything Dustin says is true. Just nonstop motor, completely changed how people game planned for the Cougs. I think he came in for the last game of the year, probably like 60, 65%. And it just, it just shut down Memphis. It was so weird to see the Cougar defense go from being just abysmal the five or six games prior to, wow, like we're doing decent. We're shutting down Memphis. We have a chance in this game. And Oliver goes out. Memphis rushes for like 3,000 yards or whatever they did in the second half, wins the AAC West. The entire calculus of how we you know see the season is different. Yeah, Ed Oliver being on, on the field versus not on the field was the difference between no one's going to ever dare try to run the ball down the middle against us because why would they? That'd be foolish. And anybody can run the ball down the middle against us anytime they want. Why would they do anything else? That would be foolish. Yeah, I'm excited to see him in Buffalo because, I mean, I think he's one of those players that the, the Colts not going to bother him whatsoever because of his motor. I think he's just going to still be a dynamic player. Um, let's wrap it up on one last thing here. We always ask uh, everybody we bring on, give us a record prediction for this year, and uh, be, let's be realistic here. Don't give me a 12-0. and 0. But I guess the uh, the last question with that is, can you see Houston being the team that represents the G5 in, a, in an NY6 game? Ooh, I, I thought you were going to say wins the West Division. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, I can see scenarios where Houston wins the West Division. I don't know. That's, that's a lot to ask. That would require Houston to probably beat Central Florida twice. Because I'm, I'm thinking UCF is going to be the team out of the East. I feel pretty good. About or Cincy twice. It's going to be probably UCF or Cincy out of the East. And UCF and Cincy are also on the regular season schedule. I don't know if this Cougar team is good enough to beat either of those teams twice. And that's probably what we're going to need to do to be the G5 team representing. Yeah, it's with playing Oklahoma and Washington State in non-conference in addition to North Texas. Man, if I could go three and one, I'd be over the moon. And if I could go seven and one in conference play, I'd be over the moon. If I go six and two, I'd be pretty thrilled. So, as much as I think this team has a lot of upside potential, seeing them finish the regular season with anything with not at least two or three losses is uh, is kind of hard to picture. And I imagine that someone in in some conference will do well enough to make that not stand up. I, I think Houston could win the American, but I think Houston's route to winning the American is probably through a you know slugfest and every team loses a couple of games here and there uh kind of scenario as opposed to houston making a uh, an incredible run um but i mean i think if you want the uh the win-loss prediction i think the most likely scenario is eight and four which would just be beautiful for the irony of everyone coming after uh dr Couture, <laughs> like like, the yeah. entire early december is gonna be insufferable you know, i heard they fired people yeah, eight and four. <laughs> the, the entire off season the entire off season really from uh, from december to september of next year will be nothing but i thought they fired coaches for eight and four jokes so i think that just the irony of it is too perfect for that to not happen but I would also say next year's schedule is going to be significantly more difficult. I would be perfectly happy with eight and four. I'm frustrated that this is Derek King's last year. Dana's been pretty clear that he is upset. The last two staffs didn't redshirt either King or his backup Clayton tune. I think they're going to try to get Clayton tune in a few enough games this year to redshirt him. So I'm upset that this is lining up. So Derek probably isn't on a conference championship team because he deserves it. If this team doesn't go to a conference championship, D.R. King will have done everything possible to try to get him there, and I think that is the one that kind of bums me out, that this just doesn't line up for that to happen, just kind of the same way it didn't line up for Ed Oliver to be on a good team his last year on campus. 
Yeah, that was so that that was frustrating for all of us to watch last year as well. Um, I'll let you guys end it on this note. Uh, plug the podcast, uh, whatever you guys like to do there. Yes, yeah, so uh, we are the universe's only known weekly Houston Cougar podcast. You can search Scott Holman podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We do spell podcast P A W D because our second favorite thing after the Cougars is terrible puns. Um, and we also recently uh, launched a website, shpodcast.com. So if you go there, you can uh, find all our old episodes. Uh, you can buy our sweet merch with our new logo that we just put out. And uh, Sam does some writing over there as well that's really uh, fun to read and informative. So shpodcast.com. Check it out. All right. Guys, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we kind of uh, did, like I said before we started, we just kind of left you hanging on what we were going to ask you. And you guys did awesome. Really appreciate surprises. it. Thanks for having us. Always fun to come on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. So I guess we're going to do what we usually do after we get our our guests on, and that is uh, give our predictions about this team heading into the year. So I'll ask you this. Oklahoma, week one. What's your what? question? Uh, is there any shot? Let's just go that way. Uh, At Oklahoma, um, it's not know, a good it. shot, but there's yeah, there's definitely a shot no, because yeah. Jalen Hurts is a quarterback. Look, okay, okay, I think Houston is going to get a lot of. They're going to get a lot of hype going into this game because people assume that because Jalen Hurts couldn't beat Tua, that he's not a good quarterback. But if you've watched him play. He he's a solid quarterback. It's just that two is just better. Two is more talented. That doesn't mean Jalen's bad. But the other thing is that Oklahoma's offense loses a ton of starters. They lose mm-hmm. more in the offensive line. And they lose Marquise Brown. It's that's like the only reason. And their defense is I don't know. Their defense is just bad. It's we big saw tough. that. We saw that. Yeah. Well, we saw that in the playoff, both last year and the year before. Is they're not, they're not very good. But they're also a Power 5 team, and they get Power 5 talent, and Lincoln Riley is insanely good at coaching and insanely good at putting together an elite offense. So, yeah, there's, there's a chance, but I'm not, I'm not holding my breath that it's going to happen. So Bill's number on that game is a 27-point margin. At that, I don't know. I think uh, I think Houston has enough firepower to make this. You know, I, I mean, four scores basically. You think there's? I don't think there's that big of a difference between these two teams. Well, if you think about it, they lost to Texas Tech the last two consecutive years by. I, I think last year was double digits, and the year before was four points or something, and they had to scramble at the end to make it four points or whatever. So. I, I want to say that it's not a four-score game, but at the same time, like Oklahoma is way ahead of where Texas Tech has been the past two years, and obviously Texas Tech just fired their coach, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's 28 points or more. Yeah, I just thought that that number was a, a little bit intriguing, considering what's some of these other numbers we're going to bring up in a, in a little bit about the rest of the schedule here. So... Um, just for our record's sake, are we both going 0-1? Yeah, 0-1. Okay. Motivate. All right. Uh, week two, they have a home game against uh, Prairie View A&M. Uh, we'll make that 1-1. One one. Yep. Uh, the following game. This, this was one that kind of... Uh, intrigued me when I was looking at the Bill's uh, numbers and whatnot and that's they mentioned the Washington State game uh, being one of the you know, tougher out of conference games but I, I do think it's interesting that Bill has Washington State as a six point favorite in a home game for Houston I thought that number well, was a little bit interesting home, it's not technically a home game it's at energy stadium which is 10 minutes away or whatever from that's Kansas. a home game it's, it's not game. though. It's a home game. No, it's not. It should be. It's probably more than home game because more Houston fans will show up to that game. Exactly. My point. It's a home game. 
Yeah, I don't know. I went the last time that Houston played in NRG was against Oklahoma, and was that 2016? And I went to that game, and it was so loud for Houston. It was crazy. Yeah, that game was so much fun to watch. I that was, I'd that was the best game, game of the weekend, too. Yes. Oh, no arguments with that whatsoever. I, I, if I remember right, that week or that that season, it was like the first or the best game of the first couple of weeks too. We were talking about that oh, weeks yeah. later. Yep. All right, but don't uh, don't elude the uh, the question there. I guess uh, win or loss for the Cougs in this home game. Uh. Here's the thing. The, the defense is just killing me right now because I assume they're going to be better, but I don't know what that means. And Washington State has another – He has. they have the kid from uh, Eastern Washington coming in at quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say win just for fun. I don't care. I was going to do the exact same. Give them a win. Just more of the fact because I do think that that crowd you talked about, I think that – They'll fill up that NFL stadium. Well, and especially with, with da- having Dana versus Major Applewhite, like people actually actually want to watch Houston football. And it's, I think it's hard when you have Oklahoma to start. It's just like the worst team, one of the worst teams to start with. But I think te- I think people will still be excited by the, by this point. I mean, let's be honest. That game against Prairie View is not going to get anybody. Ex- I mean, they'll show up because it's the first game. But you know. Washington State is the first game for in, in front of their fans. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the Prairie View A and M. Who knows how much of the the starting unit you actually see. Um. But all right, we're both at two and one for the Cougs after three weeks. Um. They go on the road to take on Tulane, a team that uh, one of the few teams they actually blew out last year that was a little bit surprising I would say yeah because they because Tulane beat them two years ago mm-hmm. so that was the yeah I don't know this is tricky because it's that was, that game was also at Tulane so I don't like this game it just there's I fit, there's just so many games that I don't like on the schedule in terms of just like where Houston is now if this was like two years ago I would love where they're at, but I probably would be let down given how Major Apple did things. But I'm 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 gonna say win, but it's not gonna be easy. I'm just I'm at you know now that we did that Tulane podcast, I'm just I feel like I'm higher on Tulane than I was before we or way higher than we did before the podcast. So it's t- it's tough for me to say it's going to be an easy win because it won't be. That's the point of bringing these guys on, have them educate us a little bit. Meh. Especially about uh, Tulane's defense. I think Tulane's defense is they might impress us a little bit this year. We'll see. But uh, uh so what are you saying? Uh, this is a, this is a hard game to pick. I'm going to I'm going to give them a win in this one. I'm going to have them at 3 and 1 after 4 weeks. Is that what you have too? I forget already. Yeah. Yeah, 3 and, and then, 1. 3 and 1, okay. And then they're next go again. Yeah, this was well, yeah, that's why. So I'm looking I'm looking ahead here and I'm like, "Ooh, it doesn't get any better from here." And you know, that's the thing about the Houston schedule. It, it's, like like they said, when we get down to it, eight and four might be that number. But let's keep going here. So next up is a road game against Mason Fine and North Texas. Um, some are saying that maybe North Texas is that underrated team uh, in the G five that. Uh, I, I, we might see them in the polls. That wouldn't surprise me, actually, if, if they, uh, especially if they if they pull off this win here. I think that would to solidify it because their their schedule actually is pretty favorable for them too. So I don't know. This is a uh, a tough one to predict, but I'm gonna actually go with uh, 
UNT just because of the fact that Boo. this game is there. How hey, dare you? I've got got to be realistic sometimes. There's too many unknowns heading into this season with Houston. I mean, I know one of the questions that you wanted to ask we didn't get to was the question about you know the transfers coming in, and I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic because there's just so much new stuff coming in and so much loss as well. I mean, the only I mean I mean the playmakers on offense are there. You got King, you got Carr. Um, you got some other pieces there, but it just seems you know the coaching staff, uh, the entire defense basically. Then all you have all these transfers coming in as well. It's just a lot of new moving parts. And then yeah, it what this is week one, two, three, four. It's week five, but um, I don't, it's just hard to to say right now that North Texas isn't more ahead as a program than Houston is. I refuse to let North Texas win this game. I, you know what Houston should do is if their defense can't figure out what to do, they just need to do what they were doing against Texas Tech, which is say, all right, screw it. Defense isn't going to help us. We're going to score 70 points and win 70 to 63 or whatever. I don't care. They're going to win. Well, that would be fun to watch. I'm 100% cool with the shootout. And I think this game has the potential to be a serious shootout in the G5. Actually, it would be a huge disappointment. It, it actually would be a huge disappointment if it's not. Like, could you imagine if these two teams out of nowhere just decide to play some hardcore defense? Because you know the hype going into that game is definitely going to be King versus Fine, the arguably the two best quarterbacks in the G5. I know Love out there in the uh, I'd put, yeah, Mountain I'd, West. Well, Love, he's in that discussion too. Yeah. I just think they're too good to be to have a defense throw them off. Yeah, yeah. That'll be a that'll be a fun game, but I'm saying a loss there. So I'm at three and two. You have a win, right? You're four at four and one. one. All right. Then they got some time off before they take on Cincinnati. At home, um, again, Bill actually has the Cougs as a uh, four-point underdog at home. Um, the Bearcats are a team that I think you and I are both going to be high on, just because they got a lot of young talent. But uh, this is a game. You know, this is a game one that Houston's co- is going to kind of need to win in my eyes. I, I think uh, three and three start to the year with what's still ahead on the schedule. Um, they yeah, this this is like a game where with the added time off, uh, they should do what they need to do to pull off a win against Cincinnati. I'm saying I don't. Since, I'm saying since he wins this game, I think they're just more put together and more stable at this point. Not that Dana won't get them to that point, but Cincinnati's way ahead in terms of that. All right. Wasn't expecting that from you. I'm not going to lie. You basically just realistic. You basically just gave my same ex- reasoning for North Texas. <laughs> there you go. One week later. <laughs> uh, win against UConn, so let's just move on. Um... A game against SMU. This year, it is it is in Houston. This game, um, SMU. That whoa, game. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Am I wrong again? Are we? Are we, I mean, maybe you're doing this purpose, but are we skipping UConn? Do we need to talk I, about that? I literally just said UConn. No. Five and two. Are let's we move really on. gonna skip? No. Oh, okay. Are you giving UConn? No, uh, I'm kidding. We can skip it. Just got to waste our time, man. Or as a certain other person put it, the Big East. Ooh, that's perfect. Yeah, let's just call them the Big East from now on. For the rest of the year, all your power rankings that we do this season from now on, (laughs) just call it the Big East. We're going to put whatever team beats Connecticut this year. Yeah, didn't we do that already once? No, we did the David Pendels. That's what we did. No, that's what it was. And don't be putting this wee garbage like you came up with it. I contribute. Not to that. 
No, maybe not that piece. All right, five and two. Five and two. You just cut me off this whole the whole SMU talk. You just cut me on. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you on a roll? Yeah. Kind of. I thought so. At least. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. I said SMU. You know that team that beat Houston last year. Kind of was the uh, the one game all season that you would argue that you really didn't see coming. Uh, well, it, Houston had gotten to that point where if if a team jumped out on them early or could put together enough drives like SMU did, where they put touchdowns on the board, then they're going to be in trouble because at that point it was King can't do everything by himself, and the defense wasn't doing him any favors. So they can do it again. It's going to be tougher for SMU to win on the road if if what Dustin and Sam said were the fans are invested into this program and they show up to this game, it's going to be tough for SMU to win, but it's, again, it's that defense, and we're going to know how good or bad, or not good, but how average or bad they are at this point, so I... And SMU always gives Houston trouble. It doesn't matter what year it is. It doesn't matter if Houston... I mean, the 2016 year we were just talking about, Houston almost lost to SMU, if I remember correctly. And it's it doesn't matter because SMU plays them tough no matter where it is. So, after so, all that... Tie. What am I at? Five and two... Sure, we'll go six and two. That's where I am. Six and two. It's whoa. I, I are you just like giving up I on SMU? I went back and looked just to make sure. <laughs> just to make sure. Are you? You're just. Uh, they're my team, and now we're t- right. you know three teams later, and you're all oh I, I'm everything that plays SMU, they're gonna win. What? I d- have not done that. I gotta keep you honest. I checked the tape. Checked the tape. Uh, I did give... And then it was probably just because this is a home game for Houston. That's... Not that... Playing in... That's much playing in Texas is really not that far. Alright. Then they get, again, so a little bit of time off before a road game against the... Defending conference champions of UCF. Um, you know UCF is going to be rocking for this game, just because you know, UCF is kind of on their uh, path to uh, prove things right now. And I think one of those things should be on their schedule every year is trying to take out Houston because of you know, the question that I asked uh, Dustin and Sam earlier. You know the how everybody thinks the Houston is the first to go. You know, UCF is trying to uh, nudge their way into that discussion there. So I feel like that's a game, if you're UCF, you're really trying to um, pound it as hard as you can. So here's my concern with this game. Where will UCF be if their quarterbacks are struggling? And obviously we're going to talk about them later. But obviously, if you look right now, it's you pick UCF and you probably don't think about it too much, even though Houston's got firepower to keep up with that offense. But where where will this team be when we get to November? I think everyone expects them to be solid, and you know all you got to do is put in a new quarterback, and Mackenzie Milton's an afterthought. But I think that. If UCF is struggling at this point, Houston has a better chance. But I don't know how much of a better chance that is. So they're probably going to lose. Yeah. I I totally hear you out from what you're saying about UCF. I feel like it's just uh, not as certain. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's just a lot of, oh, it's UCF. We're going to be good. Well, no, because the big reason for why your offense was so successful is not playing this year and the two guys that replaced him don't have that same magic 
I agree with that. I think this is going to be a big year for uh, Josh Heupel. We're going to find out a lot about him as a coach. But uh, so we both went loss in this game, right? If I understood. Yep. Alrighty. So that puts us both at six and three, I believe. I'm writing down mine. Six and three. Um, again, two weeks off for what has been uh, the Cougs' arch, nem- uh, arch nemesis the past couple years in their uh, quest to get to the conference championship game, and that is the Memphis Tigers, and they get them at home. And like I said, with that time off there, uh, I think that's an interesting thing there. You know, Like I kind of said a little bit earlier, that gives Holgerson some time to kind of work out some kinks maybe and you know, come late time in the season too, that's huge you know, for injury sake and whatnot. So that is an opportunity for them to really finally get over that hump. And, and I mean, when you look at the schedule, yes, it's front heavy. We talked about, you know, uh, the game out of conference, but the conference itself is still certainly winnable when you look at who they're playing in the West and where they happen to play them. Um, This is the game for them, and it has been the past couple years. They just got to get it done against Memphis. Which they won't. That's just... Too much, too much to make up, and with all the experience that Memphis has returning, it's just too much for them. And I agree. I am uh, already on record saying that I think that Memphis is the team that's going to represent G5 in the NY6. And I'll be wrong. Um, and now we have somebody to remind us when we're wrong again can't wait that's me I I remind you all the time when you're wrong remember I just told you about SMU because you're backtracking on your predictions what are we at here 6 and 4 with Memphis we're at 6 and 4 so we're already at 4 losses so uh, is Dana getting fired after this year (laughs) is that going to be your thing as soon as they lose one game not me I'm sure that'll be the discussion down at Houston. No. No, I'm kidding. But you know there'll be those those crazed lunatics that do do that. Yeah. They're, they're always, always out. They're always there. They they are. We have our own that come out of the woodwork every now and then. All right. After Memphis, it's a... Uh, and th- this number blew my mind when I was looking at Bill's predictions here. Uh, it's a, a road game against Tulsa. Um, Tulsa can be a pain in the butt at times. I think. I think was it a couple of years ago that they gave? Did they beat Houston or they gave him a hard game? Uh, um, I mean, that ten. That ten. You win. Know, I think. I think actually, it's not SMU. Like I said before, I think it's Tulsa is who gives Houston a lot of trouble because they. Yeah. yeah, they beat him like forty-five sixteen. Yeah, like it was forty-five seventeen in 20, 2017. and then that's the year before the twenty sixteen that. Houston had to stop them on the goal line to prevent Tulsa from tying it up. So yeah, Tulsa's a tough one. Yeah, so the, and so maybe that's what plays into this number here because he, uh, I thought it would be significantly higher just because I know both of us aren't as big on Tulsa this year that uh, only a four-point favorite for Houston. I, I thought that was a uh, very interesting number to me. Uh, it should be higher, but given the the history between these two teams, it's not going to be. Just it's it's mind blowing. But the fact that playing Tulsa is only a nine percent higher win probability than playing at North Texas and two percent lower than playing at Tulane is just insane. Given how yeah. much Tulsa has struggled the last two years, but because of the history between these two teams, that's why. It's crazy, though. Yeah, I, uh, that that was the one number I was looking at. I was like, eh. But the, I had to look back a couple times to make sure that, because I use the same format when I do all the pods for now that we're doing these previews. And I was like, wait, did I just, just not change this number? So, wow, no, that's actually right. So, yeah, interesting number. But 
I think we both kind of said that we think still is a win for Houston, despite Tulsa's being a pain for Houston. Unless Houston, or excuse me, unless Tulsa is you know better than what we've talked about when we're talking about Tulsa, unless they're better than what everybody else is thinking. But I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. All right, so seven and four that puts us both. Heading into the uh, regular season finale, and it'll be senior day against Navy. Um, again, Navy is that team this year in the conference that I think is going to be the biggest letdown of them all, other than UConn. But we don't, I mean, they're not even part of the American anymore. They're just hanging out for one more year. They're renting but, space. But I do want to say a but. If you're Houston and you think of the last game of the year and you think of triple option, are you slightly concerned after, excuse me, after what happened with Army last year? Well, okay. we Everybody's going to keep bringing up Army every single time we talk about Houston because it was just awful, but that's, it's not... <laughs> That's not it's the a triple same option team. team. I, I don't have every, care. I have every right to bring it up because it's a triple option team. Yeah, and they beat a triple option team, aka Navy, the same team they're playing last year. So I don't want to hear it just because that's one game, seventy to fourteen, with the JV team in. Okay, and then I'll just argue that that game they allowed thirty-six points against that Navy team, and then allowed seventy against Army. Who we all know, Army's the better triple option team right now well right so who's to say that navy doesn't score another 36 okay navy also scored with two times with under two minutes left to make it a closer game than it actually was so why don't you calm yourself a little bit and relax with your arguments i'm just trying to rile up your feathers there a little bit buddy that's all i know because the mids they're going to be bad this year. The Mids, huh? Is that your new nickname for them? That is their nickname, bro. It's the Midshipmen. They're not the Mids. Yeah, but they go by the Mids. Come on now. Oh, man. Or if uh, you, I don't think you well, get to call them the Mids when you're predicting them to win two games or less this year. I call them what I want to call them. Oh, don't give me that. Wow. Mr. High Horse. This is America. I'm allowed to call them what I want. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so... Win. Win, yeah, win. Eight and four. We end our season at eight and four. So, we, yeah, we kind of agreed with um, Tussin and Sam there. And cue the, cue the sounds of him getting fired, like I said earlier. <clears throat> Who's next on our list? Temple. Temple. All right. <clears throat> 